Temptation, temptation, temptation. Where would the world be without temptation? Probably in a much better spot, but it's something we experience every day. Something each and every one of us experiences, no matter how hard we try, no matter how holy we get, no matter how much progress we make. But as we hear in the gospel today, Jesus himself was tempted. Jesus resisted temptation. And Jesus shows us how to do so. The temptation isn't so easy. Oftentimes it's quite tricky. To simply say, well, I won't be tempted anymore is a very, um, a very generous um, hope. That's good. That's a good desire, a good hope. But temptation knows us. Temptation is a person. We hear in the gospel many times this temptation is given a name, the evil one, Satan, the devil, the tempter. That we have this tempter who is often and always without sleep, without rest, without needing to rest, without nourishment, seeking to draw us into his honey trap. In many ways, temptation is like dead skin remover. You're wondering, what are you talking about, Father Gabe? I got a story for you. So one time, I was a young man, I was walking in the mall, and this woman was selling beauty products, and she was giving out free samples. I wasn't in the, the market for beauty products, but I figured, well, maybe I can get some free samples for my mom and my sister. So I go over and, sh and I take the samples, thinking that's all there is, foolish me. This woman was a shark. She said, hey, would you like a free hand cleaning? And I was like, a hand cleaning? I've never heard of that before. So I said, yes, sure, it's free. Again, very naive. She draws me in, has me sit down, and she starts looking at my hand. She says, you have very beautiful hands. And I wasn't as hygienically um, prudent back then, and there was dirt under my nails, and I was thinking, what is she talking about? But like, thank you. I took the compliment. Thank you. I take very good care of my hands. She said, there's quite a bit of uh, a dead skin on your hand. I said, oh, okay. Well, what can we do about that? Well, we can apply some dead skin remover. And I said, that's a thing? And she said, yes. It's actually only we sell it. We have this dead skin remover. And I think, wow, this will solve my dead skin problem. <laughs> so she rubs the dead skin remover on. She files down my nails. She makes them look all pretty and clean. One hand. My other hand looked terrible. Um, and she, after a while, there's this thin film from the dead skin remover. And she peels it off. And she says, look at all this dead skin. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's a lot. I mean, I should go to the doctor. She says, nope. It's the beauty of the product. And I said, well, thanks for the free hand cleaning. And she said, wait, 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 aren't you going to buy anything? And I say, well, I, I wasn't planning on it. She says, but the dead skin remover, it works. And I think, she's right. She said, it's $30. And I said, okay, here you go, take my money. I bought the dead skin remover, and I <laughs> realized as I was walking away, I just got scammed. And then I thought, you know what? That dead skin remover kind of looked like glue. I found out later that that dead skin remover had actually been just a thin layer of glue that she had put on my hand and then pulled off. And this is what I would paid $30 for. Now I share this with you and say temptation is like dead skin remover because temptation is a false promise. Whenever we are lured into temptation, there is a promise that we will be fulfilled, that our life will be better, that we can escape whatever difficult, dark feeling we are experiencing, or perhaps this will be what finally makes me whole, makes me complete. 
Temptation moves us to lesser things with promises of greater solutions. And I don't know about you guys, but every time I've been tempted and fallen, I always feel empty, wounded, and even worse off than I did before. This is the economy of temptation. This beguiling invitation into something. We don't know what. Well, we know what it is. It's sin. But at the time, we think, well, maybe this could be it. Or, you know what, I'll just follow this path. I'm going to fall anyway. It's not a big deal. And we find ourselves lacking, disappointed, empty. We see this in our parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve. In the first reading today, we see this process of temptation. That they had it all. They were in the Garden of Eden, this wonderful place. They had everything they needed. But then along comes the serpent, tempting Eve, saying, well, why don't you eat from the fruit? The fruit that is forbidden. You can just go up and grab it, take it. You'll receive this incredible wisdom. You will become like God and you will not die. False promises. <laughs> That's an understatement. Big oof from Eve and Adam <laughs> taking that fruit. That we have Eve falling into certain steps. That she, First she looks at it. She sees that it is desirable as food. So she falls in the flesh. She sees that she would very much like to possess it. It is pleasing to the eyes. She says, I want it. I want that fruit. And then finally, she falls in pride, thinking it will give me wisdom. It will make me like God. And these three, lust of the flesh, a desire and greed and selfishness, and finally in pride, she falls into that first temptation. <clears throat> So many people, I've heard some scholars say that it's actually Eve who fell and then Adam didn't. This is not true. We could say even Adam was easier to convince. It doesn't say that Adam says, what is this? Or we're not supposed to eat from the fruit, but he just sees it. And he says, oh, okay, I'll just take it. <laughs> he goes through the same process, but seemingly even quicker. We have Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve, our two parents falling into this first sin. That they take this, this fruit, tempted towards that promise of greater life, more power, elevation, that they would be their own possessors. And then the reality strikes through that act, that fall, and moving into temptation we have sin, death, suffering, destruction, darkness, despair. And we're still experiencing it today. Big oof, a big oof. A big false promise that our parents fell into. And then today, even, we experience that temptation, knowing that, oftentimes, that it is a false promise, knowing that this isn't actually going to make things better, but maybe just for now, just for this moment. And we can allow that to be the norm, that we get into habits of temptation, habits into moving into sin, to let ourselves go a little bit. But that is why here and now we have a time to enter into the desert, to scrutinize our habits of sin. To join ourselves to the Lord, as the church says, to join ourselves in the desert with our Lord, having fasted in the desert for 40 days. And it's here that we encounter true conquering over sin. And that fulfillment of the true promise of new life through Jesus Christ. That we persist through suffering, struggle, difficulty. When we fall, we get back up with the help of God's grace. We continue to move in that promise, that true promise, not a false promise, of new life in Christ. We see this then in the gospel where the Lord kind of lays out the map for us in Lent. That he enters in and he fasts for 40 days. And it says he fasts for 40 days. And then when he finishes, he's hungry. So it's interesting. For 40 days, he wasn't eating. But it doesn't say he was hungry then. 
That he was spending this time in prayer with the Father. That he was fed by the Word. He was fed by that time in prayer. By truly engaging with his divine nature. And in doing so, he was fed. He was nourished. It's only when he turns back to the world that he's left wanting. Now he's hungry. And it's interesting we have Satan, the devil, the tempter, waiting, kind of like a snake, waiting for that opportune moment to come in and to bite. That he's waiting for Jesus to be at his weakest. Or so he thinks. He sees, well, now he's hungry, now I will strike. And he presents these three temptations, almost parallel, mirroring those in, 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 uh, um, in the Garden of Eden. But now what's interesting is we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. We're in the desert, this place of barren death, the place where only saints and demons survive. And here he is battling our Lord. This is the battleground. Whereas before it was in this place of bountiful fruit, bountiful comfort, but now it is here barren. And all there is is our Lord and the tempter. And the tempter starts by saying, you know what? Those rocks, they look like they could be loaves. Maybe you could, you know, turn them into loaves. Then you wouldn't be hungry. Hey, buddy? How's that sound? Jesus (laughs) rebukes him with scripture. He mentions that he can only be truly fed by the word of God, that we don't live on bread alone. We are truly nourished by that word of God, that prayer, that connection with our Lord. And so really, he counters that invitation into that temptation of, of lust of the flesh, the desire to eat, to consume, to be led first and foremost by our flesh. And so Jesus shows us that it's through that detachment from, from food, that detachment from things, that detachment from material bliss, from those desires of the flesh that we have freedom in this temptation. Satan changes up his tactics a little bit and he says, all right, well, I'm going to move you. And he does miraculously. He moves Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, which must have been an incredible sight. And he shows him the place below, and he says, well, you could just jump and then be caught by your angels. You have that power, right? Don't you? If you were the son of God, he's teasing him out, trying to coax him into this pride. You could do it. And think, if you jumped and you were caught, how many people would loud you, would lift you up and say, this is incredible. We have a true prophet among us. But instead, Jesus rejects, again, with Scripture. He does not move into pride. Finally, Satan employs his last tactic. And he says, well, look at all these kingdoms. This could all be yours. All you have to do is bow before me. Here's the ultimate false promise, acting as though Satan has any power over our Lord. Saying, I have the power to grant you influence. Power over all these kingdoms. All you have to do is bow down to me. And here Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. It's a good lesson as well. Whenever we're in temptation, just flee. Just say, get back, man. I don't need this right now. I need to get out of here. But here Jesus rejects him. It says, you shall not tempt God. And finally, he rejects this temptation towards greed, this desire to be selfish for one's own power, for one's own good, for one's own um, uh, needs. And it's interesting here, Jesus rejects three times using his divine nature, using his power for himself. And you notice, throughout the gospel, Jesus never uses his power for himself. He heals according to faith. He reveals these miracles according to that desire to know, to reveal the Father. He never uses it for himself. Jesus truly takes on our nature and lives as one of us. And then he reveals his divine nature only to heal, 
only to inspire, to draw others to faith and to hope and to recognize that greater promise of new life in Christ. So I think for us, as we're entering into the desert, it's already Lent, and it's easy, I think, for us to kind of say, well, we're already on the fast track to Easter, so uh, why, why even bother? But here we are in the desert. We have this time intentionally to seek out a deeper relationship with our Lord, to reject the false promises of temptation, and to uh, conform our hearts to that greater gift, that promise of new life in Christ. We do so in three ways. So we focus on more prayer, intentional fasting, and acts of charity. And in these three, we counter these three temptations that led us and our entire humanity into destruction by that first temptation. First, we pray more. Prayer in prayer, we recognize our relationship with the Lord. We come to know God as he is. We come to realize our, our reliance on him, that we need the Lord, that we are little, that we are weak, that we are not perfect. So we grow in that relationship with intentional prayer and time of silence and reading scripture and attending the sacraments. Then we also have then fasting. Fasting allows us to become detached from the things that we hold and allow to direct us in the world. That we become detached from the desires of the flesh. That we are not tempted or led by the flesh. And in doing so, we have this prudence that we live according to how the Lord calls us. And finally... We have acts of charity, giving alms that counter our pride. That as our pride directs us to live only for ourselves, to take the blessings that we have for ourselves, and to boister up ourselves, instead we are inspired by that love of God for us to then love others, to recognize that there is nothing that is given to me that I myself have, have produced, but it has been given to me out of love for me from God. And that I then reflect that by giving it to others, recognizing those in need and assisting them in loving them well. Prayer, fasting, and acts of charity. This is how we counter that temptation. This is how we continue to move in the desert and to recognize that greater gift of that promise of new life and to live in that new life here and now as beloved sons and daughters of God as we journey through the desert. Amen.